Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, I'm going to bring a lot of energy to the show. I'm going to bring a lot of information to the show. And I'm going to bring some enthusiasm to the show because I have uh, a leading expert on the subject that is so important to all of us. And I'm welcoming back Dr. John Pahuli. You know, Dr. John, that's why we call you Dr. John. As hard as I try (laughs) to say your name properly, I blew it. I blow it every time. But I want to thank you once again for joining me because you have been with me back in November. And at that time, we were talking about diabetes and your your book. But today, we're going to be focusing specifically on the coronavirus. You are an allergist and you are an immunologist. And that really brings credence to this subject. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you join me again today. I thank you for having me, and I thank our audience for listening. You bet. So for those that may have missed our show back in November, do you want to just tell our audience just a little bit about your background? Well, uh, I'm a medical doctor, MD. I practiced for 35 years, retired. And during my practice, I had these questions about why do people gain weight when I noticed myself gaining weight during the winter months only to lose it in spring and summer. But after a few years, I discovered that what I gained, I could not lose. So I delved into that, starting with the question, what makes you feel hungry? Because you don't feel hungry all the time. So what is the physiological basis of hunger? Second, when you start eating, you don't always eat the same amount of food before you feel satisfied. So what is the signal for satiation? And then the third question was, what happens to the nutrients absorbed during a meal before you eat the next meal. For example, if you take your blood sugar level after supper, the sugar will be high, but next morning, the blood sugar level is back to to baseline. Where did that sugar go? So the answer to these questions created my first book, Eat, Chew, Live. I had to come up with my own answers because I could not find answers satisfactory to me in medical physiology textbooks. The second part was people who are diabetic. I saw a lot of people, patients of mine, who are diabetic on medications, but still having exactly the same complications as those who were not treated. Just to give you an example, we are told if you are resistant to an antibiotic, the doctor will not give you that antibiotic. But the basic premise of type 2 diabetes is you are resistant to insulin. But what does the doctor give you? Insulin. So why? If you inject insulin, yes, the blood sugar goes down. So where does that sugar go? Some people, many people think it disappears from the body through urine. But if you test your urine, then you don't see any glucose. So where did that sugar go? Then about Eight, nine years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I asked the oncologist, what caused my cancer? He said, well, what is your age? Oh, it is, this is the age you get cancer. Okay, what can I do? Well, we will do the treatment. How is, will the treatment clear all cancer cells in my body? And the doctor said, well, we will tell you in about five years. So they could not find any more. They said, I'm cured. So I asked the question, what happens if there is a cancer cell hiding in my body? Will it come back? And the doctor did not have an answer. 
So that is when I looked into that deeper and published the book, Surviving Cancer. So I published three books, one on how to prevent obesity and diabetes, second, how to reverse diabetes, because in the second part I mentioned about type 2 diabetes and treatment, and I, I don't subscribe or I don't support the concept that type 2 diabetes is caused by insulin resistance. I have a different hypothesis, which is presented in my second book, uh, the real cause and the right cure for type 2 diabetes, eight steps to reverse your type 2 diabetes in eight weeks. And the third one is how to survive cancer. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope I have not taken too much time to explain no, no, no. I think, where I'm coming from. No, I think this is really important, and I know we spoke a great deal about that, and I know you're having another book that's actually going to be coming out sometime this spring, summer. But today... We're going to be, as an immunologist, we're going to be focusing on what everyone is talking about. And as more people get tested and more people are testing positive for the coronavirus, that's to be expected, and others are voluntarily self-isolating, like me, for instance. While living in isolation, let's talk about how we can maintain our optimum health, and I believe since you know a lot about the immune system, let's, uh, let's spend some time getting some really good information on how we can learn to strengthen our immune system through our diet. Yes. The, the, the basic question is, what is the immune system? What does it do? If you think about it, the beauty or the um, the the how the immune system works is very, very interesting. For example, the primary job of the immune system is to protect the body from infection, from other agents, allergens, or any damage that the body can sustain. So in order for that to happen, the body has to have a mechanism to detect what is not normal or what is not self. You know, if you look at the a, a newborn baby growing in as a fetus in the mother's womb, for that mother, that baby is a, a, a growth, so to speak. How can the mother even tolerate that growth? Because the, the if you look at the blood typing, it can be completely different from the mother, yet the mother tolerates that baby. It grows. So then you take the baby. The baby needs to know what are normal cells in, that, in the body, what cell is a constituent of the heart or pancreas or joint, because you don't want to create immune cells that can attack your own body cells. So there is what is called innate immunity. The immune system, as it is developing, is trained to recognize what is normal, what is innate, what what, what the baby should have for normal organs to function. So the immune system is imprinted with this information. Then comes an external agent like a virus or a bacteria or a parasite. And the first thing the immune system wants to know is what is the nature? And that nature of the intruder is based on proteins. So what happens is going back to how does the body know every cell in the body whether it is a skin cell or a blood cell or a pancreatic cell, they all display a badge, a protein badge outside on the cell wall. And the immune system will scan it, know, okay, this is normal, just like a police badge or whatever badge you have. You can scan it, the immune system knows, yes, you you are part of us, don't worry about it. Any intruder, whether it is a bacteria or a parasite, has a different badge on the, on the cell surface. 
the immune system, immune cells can immediately recognize it and send an alert to the lymph nodes with a sample of the protein and the lymph nodes will start producing antibodies because the immune system cannot de destroy the cell unless it is definite because it does not want, just because it is activated, it cannot destroy any cell in the vicinity. It has to be the correct targeted cell. So that is the function of the antibody. The antibody attaches itself to the offending bacteria or parasite, then the immune system can kill it. So the antibody works with the immune system to, for targeting purposes, and that is how we develop immunity. And then there are memory cells in the lymph node that can activate the antibody production earlier if you get a second infection because they already store that information for future use. And that is why when you get chickenpox, for example, your immunity lasts longer. When you get a vaccine, you have long-lasting immunity because there are memory cells that can reactivate the antibody production within a short period of time. So that is the function of the immune system. Now, the immune system cannot work unless it goes to the area where it is needed. So, and also it needs uh, other agents to effectively destroy, remove the uh, offending agent. In other words, every system, every organ in the body has to be working together for the immune system to be effective. If the, for example, if the heart and circulation doesn't work, immune cells cannot reach the place where it needs to reach. So the question then is, overall, how can we keep the body in a healthy working order? Correct. We need nutrients. We need over 100 different nutrients. And you cannot get that from any single food or any single food group or single meal. This is why we need to eat multiple meals. I'm not suggesting a, a large quantity, but the variety is more important. You need vegetables, you need fruits, you need seeds, nuts, roots, lentils, mushrooms, spices. The spices and herbs are unique in the sense if you do not have a variety of vegetables and fruits available to you, you can increase the, the nutrient content by adding spices and herbs. So you need a variety. That is the key to maintain a strong immune system and a healthy body. Let me ask you something. Let me interrupt you if you don't mind. So I heard what you said about this variety and, and the vegetables and the fruits, and you mentioned the spices and the, and the herbs. Are there particular spices and herbs that do a better job of that than others? Like in your household, or are there some spices that you just make sure you utilize? Let me answer it this way. There are people living up to 80, 90, 100 in every part of the globe. That means they are getting all the nutrients they need from locally available uh, fruits, vegetables, spices, herbs. So there is no one particular spice. Mm -hmm. The second part you have to look at is, yes, every spice or every herb has something that your body needs, whether it is a micronutrient, whether it's a vitamin, whether it's a mineral. But what we don't know, the science cannot tell you is how much of that same nutrient in your body. In other words, if, you, if the body has all the calcium it can use, taking more calcium will not do any good. If the body already has enough vitamin A or vitamin C from other foods you already have eaten, if you take a supplement, what good can it do? The body may not even absorb it if it already has. If it is a water-soluble vitamin or mineral, you can take excess and it will be flushed out from the body through your kidneys. You have to be very careful if you are supplementing with 
fat-soluble vitamins because there is no outlet from the body for something that uh, is stored in the fat. So that you have to be careful about. What would be an example of that? What would vitamin be a, a vitamin D? Uh, D like yes, boy I'm or D like dog? Yes. That, that, yes, D you like know, boy or a, a D D as in dog, and oh, D, uh-huh. E E and as vitamin K. They are fat soluble vitamins. You have to be very careful how much you take. Very good. So that is that's a doable thing to know. A like apple, D like dog, E like element. K like kite. Those are fat soluble soluble supplements. What are the examples Vitamins. of water of water soluble? I can't say that word. What's the, any, what's any, the example? All B complex vitamins, vitamin C. That's all. Uh, that's uh, water soluble. Okay. Would it say that right on the bottle, or would you? How would you investigate to know that? Uh, you, you will have to find it. They, it will not say on the bottle whether it is water-soluble mm-hmm. or fat-soluble. No. Wow. That's why we have scientists in the world. Do you recommend that people take a, a multiple vitamin every day? Not. You don't need it every day if you are consuming a variety of vegetables and other uh, things that we just mentioned. Okay. But if you want to feel good about, okay, in case I haven't, Maybe a couple of times a week, if you want to do that, that's fine. Okay, terrific. That's good to know. And I didn't hear any proteins mentioned in that multiple meals and having a variety. Where where does the where does the protein come from? Is does it? Do you need to be on a? Do you recommend a vegetarian or vegan diet, or can people still eat eggs and chicken and? What do you think about those You things? can eat ev- everything. Again, if you look at people in the Arctic region, mm-hmm. they have lived for, for thousands of years eating what? Eating marine fish. mammals, mm-hmm. land animals, fish, mm-hmm. birds, and eggs. Right. And they hardly ate any you know, vegetables for months at a time during the wintertime. Because they don't have so, them. Right. Correct. So you can get all the nutrients that you need. It doesn't matter. The food is just a packaging. The nutrients inside is what matters. Got it. So it doesn't matter what package you are opening, as long as what is inside is what your body needs. The color of the nutrient or the packaging or the color of the vegetable or the, the leaf size, whether it is meat or egg or fish, makes no difference as long as you get the nutrients when you need on time in sufficient do I need? Do I need different nutrients at my age, yeah. my height, my weight than you need? Each person needs different based on what is in the body and what is left in the body and also what is in the food that you are going to be eating. Sometimes, just to give you an example, you feel hungry, you open your refrigerator, and nothing appeals to you. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, let me give you another example, if I may. Let us say we go to a buffet. There are 100 different items. How many will you take? Give me a number. Seven. 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 Based on what? What I think will taste good. Right. Based on your previous experience of enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is for lunch. We sit down. You enjoy it. I enjoy what I picked. Suppose we go back to the same buffet for supper. Will you eat? Will you take exactly the same amount or same type, same amount, and enjoy the same way? Probably not. I already Why had not? that earlier that day because now I'm looking for variety. Why are you looking for variety? Well, because when I only picked seven, I saw seven more that looked really good, but I can't eat all of that. I know I'm going to go back later tonight, so I'll pick the seven I didn't pick at breakfast. Why do you feel differently now? Because you enjoyed them, right? Right. What but I'm, I'm over trying it. to suggest is, <laughs> I'm sorry? <gasps> But I'm over it. I'm ready to try something else now. I have right. fruit then. I don't want fruit now. 
Correct. The, the reason mm. what I'm saying is the nutrients contained in those food that you ate are still mm. in your body. The body has not used up those nutrients. But in the meantime, the body has used some other nutrients of the 100 that the body needs. And from the previous experience, your subconscious mind knows which food contains those needed nutrients, those nutrients needed now. And the subconscious mind will suggest to the conscious mind, that one looks more appealing now. The other one looks more, more appealing. No, this one we don't need anymore. Mm-hmm. So there is recording, metering, monitoring going on each time you eat. Your brain is smarter than you think you are. <laughs> Speaking of that, Speaking of my brain, because I, I, I'm getting the diet thing now, and I, I want to make, there's so many questions I want to ask you, and so I'm going to ask if you can uh, reduce some of your responses so I can get to all of these. So, sure. um, I, so no, 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 don't be sorry, but there's so many things I want to cover. And um, I think what I want to do, I know I mentioned even when in my blog that we wanted to, I wanted to know about how, the, how fitness plays a part in our immune system and also how our mind affects our immune system. And in some ways, I think you've almost answered the mind. I would like to know if because we are being sheltered at home, that doesn't prevent us from getting out and walking in our neighborhood, which I've been doing. Do you believe that physical, and we could do it in our own house, do you believe that physical fitness plays a big part in our immune system? Not only immune system, but also in the general health and well-being. There is a study which I'm very fond of that says, yes, everybody wants to do so much uh, exercise, active, so increase the heart rate and uh, improve the circulation, which pre- uh, boosts your immune system, your uh, capacity to breathe, your, your, your conditioning. But mm-hmm. this study shows your health, general health and well-being is more proportional to how much time in a day you be active. In other words, the more inactive your body is, the more your chance of getting into trouble, health-related trouble. So the amount of time you spend inactive, you want to minimize it. That doesn't mean you have to go and run around as long Mm -hmm. as you're up and around and active. For that, you don't need much space. All you need is one room. Rearrange the right. furniture and mm-hmm. walk around it. You know, if you have a fa- other members, just like line dancing, you just go around <laughs> it. <laughs> good, good, good visual. I like that. Put some music on and move, right? Get your body moving. Right. I love that. Let me ask yeah. you something else because I get that now. Our mind, do you think, you know how you sometimes hear when you're growing up, mind over matter? Do you think that our mind has a big impact on our immune system? Not only on our immune system, but also our how we feel. And especially in this, the, the last few weeks, last couple of months, we have been hearing about this pandemic, this virus, we have no control over this and that. So the question is, how much should we pay attention to? That depends on what do you want to get out of it? And I divide people in general into two categories. One, people who are generally anxious. They don't want anything to go wrong. And if they hear something that is not pleasant, they get more anxious, which in some cases can push them into a panic mode. And if you become panic, if you're If you're in that mode, you may do things that you would not do otherwise if you have time to think about. So Mm -hmm. if you are a person, then you will know if you are uh, an anxious type of person. It is better not to listen to a lot of this, what's going on. Whereas there are some others who want to know, yes, what's going on in the body, uh, in in the world. What, mm-hmm. what I should be prepared for. 
Mm-hmm. See, our mind works in three different uh, categories or ways. May I go into that? Um, maybe we can come back to it, if you don't mind. Hold okay. the thought, make yourself a note, because I wanted to just clarify the two categories, because I understand the general, generally anxious person. What would you, how do you categorize that other group? What would you, how do you, what would you call, how, what would you call those folks? Well, that is why I want to do the three ways of how okay, the brain works. Okay, then let's works. do it. All right. The first part is what is called cognitive. We get the input, and that goes to our special senses, our hearing. Vision, vision is the most important input channel. Then hearing, then taste, touch. All these senses we have is the input channel to the, to the brain. That's the cognition. That is understanding what is coming in. Okay. Then comes the analysis. What does this signal mean? If you see a shape, what does that mean? If you smell something, what does that mean? If you see a scene, what is the importance of that? If you hear a sound, you know, is it dangerous or is it pleasant? So your, your, your analytical part analyzes what the, the meaning of that. Then mm-hmm. comes the third part, which is the emotion. Oh, yeah. After the analysis, it creates the feelings. Are you happy? Are you unhappy? Are you more tense? Are you angry? That is the third one. What happens to the people who are anxious is they take less time or practically no time for analysis. The input sends the signal straight to the emotion side, and they are already anxious before they even know is there something to be anxious about. So this is why the people can be you know, categorized into these groups. The emotional part should be the end result of a thoughtful analysis. If you don't have enough information to analyze it properly, hold off the emotional part until you get the information. That is superb. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's why Thank you. you're the expert. In, in Los Angeles, and I know people listen all over the country, but here in Los Angeles, and I know that you're in, you're in Portland, so I'm in California, we are now required to wear face masks. And, you know, let's, let's go to some practical information because that's where I sit. Because I'm really trying to move myself truly from that anxious person that I would typically be even without a pandemic. I have learned to regulate, analyze, um, um, let's see, analyze, and what was the first one? Um, visualize, uh, uh, analyze, yeah. and, and understand my emotions. I'm getting better at that because you can improve in that. But just right down to the face masks themselves, there are all kinds of them out there. Can you just tell me a practical way of using them, and how often do they get cleaned? Are they disposable? Should we be wearing them? Where do we wear them? I know that you could probably spend 30 minutes talking about that, and I have so many other questions I want to ask you. So just in brief, do you support wearing face masks, as and why do we wear them? To protect ourselves? Short answer is yes. (laughs) Short answer is yes. And let me tell you why. In, in this particular case, the COVID-19 virus, it goes in as droplets. These droplets, are the size of the droplet is what is important. If the size of the droplet is 5 microns or less, then it is called an aerosol that can float in the air, just like dust particles in the air. When you see the sunlight, you can see the dust flying around, mm-hmm. and it can go uh, long distances. Whereas if the size of the droplet is more than five, in, in the coronavirus it is almost ten, it cannot go very far. Within a few minutes it will be uh, falling to the ground because of gravity. So then it, how far it goes depends on how forceful is it coming out, whether when you're coughing or sneezing. And it may go four or five feet. And then, but the trajectory is towards the earth and it falls down to the surface. So if you are away from that 
in, or that distance, five, six feet, then chance of you getting the droplet is very minimum unless the air current is such that that you are standing right in front of that person. So one thing you can do is if you're talking to somebody, don't stand straight front. Mm -hmm. To the side. So you, the force of air goes away from you, not towards you. Let now, me ask you. Let me, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. Go ahead. I guess what I wanted to know was you gave in the, as examples and these droplets and these size and this five to six. And so I get that part, but also what you included in that, if that person around you is coughing or sneezing. I haven't been out all that much. I have been out to some degree. I personally, just me, I've been to Costco. I've been to my market. I went to my bank. I haven't been around a single person that has been coughing or sneezing at all. So if nobody's coughing and sneezing around me and I am wearing a mask, I would think that that's a good thing, right? Yes. Now, I'm coming to the mask. The, the important thing, for, as far as I'm concerned, the best mask that I think personally is a, a plain cotton, made of plain cotton. Why? Mm -hmm. The cotton will absorb the water part and will trap the droplet in the uh, cloth. And once it is trapped there, it cannot go out. How can it go unless you, you know, it has to evaporate. By that time, if the water is dry, the virus, it's unlikely it will keep the virus alive. So cotton, that is what I think. You know, cover the nose, cover your mouth. So if we can cover every person then even if you are infected, this is the interesting thing about, or most thing that you need to know about coronavirus, that this virus, unlike a flu virus, a flu virus, when you are infected, it produces nasal symptoms. You know you have stuffy nose or a little bit of irritation in the throat. You know there is something wrong. Whereas the coronavirus can infect you and you may not feel any symptoms but you may still be throwing out droplets containing the virus. Uh, because I tell people, okay, go to the mirror and breathe on the mirror, and the mirror gets foggy. Why? Because water is coming out from your lungs with each breath, and that each water droplet can have a virus particle. So depending on the air movement, even if the person is not coughing, these water droplets can containing, uh, contain viruses and go a, a few feet, maybe two or three feet. Mm -hmm. But if that person is wearing a cloth mask or a face cover, just plain mm -hmm. cotton, it mm -hmm. traps the molecule. So we can okay. reduce the potential of spread so much just by doing that. Wonderful. That's good to know. When it and, comes and then to, the cloth, you can wash it yeah. off. Wash off. As, as, when you come home, wash off the cloth as well as your hand. Okay. So then what I'm thinking, and, and I'm doing this with my friend Linda that's making these masks, is that it sounds to me if you're going to wash off this mask, and, I mean, can you do you use dish soap that's antibacterial? Do you use... Do you throw it in the any, washing machine? Any soap is fine, any, any soap and any water. Soap. Usually what you're trying to do is to wash it off and it goes down the drain in the water yes. itself. Okay. So, And then let it dry. And so you obviously right. are going to need to have several because if you need to go out later in the day and now your mask is wet, you're sort of messed up. So you should, have, you should be able to rotate them. If you, let's say yeah. this particular, my friend is making cotton cloth masks. Let's say right. I'm wearing um, side A next to my nose, and mm -hmm. I wore it when I was out doing whatever I was doing. Now I've come home. Mm -hmm. Now I need mm -hmm. to go back out again, which honestly is not my case. If I reverse it, and now I put side B next to my nose before I've washed it, is that okay? No. No, that, it, don't because... do that. Once you've worn it, you don't wear it again until it's been cleaned. They, let, let me tell you why. Because if the virus is in, a, uh, in, in, a, in the cloth, in the um, 
uh, box or in any surface, that virus can get. You now, if you wear your own mask, you can say that's okay. But suppose you, the outside of the ma the cloth, it has caught and trapped some virus particles from somebody else. Got if it. If you reverse it, now you've turned it around it and you've taken their virus and stuck it right up against your face. Hello, that makes right. Sense. Got so it. in order okay. for the virus, in order for you to catch it, either you take your nose into the virus or bring the virus to your nose. <laughs> there you go. What do you have? What's your thoughts about um, wearing gloves when you go to pick up the bottle of that package of pasta or that those bag of lemons in the market? Do you recommend wearing gloves? Yes, along the same lines, I recommend cotton gloves for the same reason. The oh, cotton can absorb the water, hold it there, okay. and you can wash off the gloves just like, and make sure you wash off your hands as well. Wow. So everybody listening, anybody find cotton gloves anywhere? Wow. Okay, good to know. Um, let's move on to another terminology. And I think, honestly, I think you've already described it, but I'm going to ask it again, and maybe you can just give me that sentence. I'm going to ask you, what does asymptomatic mean? Does it mean you've, you've got the potential, but you have no symptoms? Is that, is that the answer okay. to that? This, this is a very, very important question. It goes to the Thank basic you. factor. How does the virus get into your body? These virus particles, the COVID-19, it is what's called an RNA virus. It's just a package of uh, genetic material. It cannot multiply or uh, divide by itself. It needs a living cell. So, but it can float around in the air, get into your nose, then it has a hook. It hooks on to the cell surface. By the way, it does not hook on to the, there is no uh, skin cell surface that it can hook on to. So it cannot go, get into the body through your skin. But the mucous membrane has a receptor. So this will hook on to the receptor. Then it literally produces an enzyme, which is more like a drill. It drills a hole into the cell wall because it does not want to kill the cell, but it wants to get into the cell. So once it produces a hole, the, the genetic material of the virus gets inside the cell. Then it takes over the production facility. Every cell produces thousands of molecules of protein every day, every minute, every hour it is in the production is active. And this virus will take over the production line and instruct the cell, okay, make copies. And the thing is, the cell cannot make a value judgment. The cell cannot, doesn't know whether it is good, good protein or bad protein. It just makes copies. And even more interesting is this. The virus may have five different proteins in it, and these five proteins can be manufactured simultaneously, and they self-assemble into a whole unit inside the cell. And when they have enough, then it bursts out of the cell and gets down to the air, outside, or go down into the breathing tube, into the lungs, and start infecting more cells. That is when you get into trouble. However, initially, when these are going on, maybe one or two cells are already burst and the virus is out, but you don't have any symptoms. You don't feel any stuffiness. You don't feel any sore throat. You don't have any fever. And keep in mind, your own immune system is trying to contain this. They know something going on. They are not sure. It takes about two to three weeks for them to produce the antibodies to recognize, to target the cells that have the virus. During that time, you can be shedding the virus. That is the asymptomatic transmission. That is the community spread that people are talking about. That is the most dangerous part of this COVID-19 uh, spread. I see. So you're, you've been, so it could take two to three weeks for your body to produce an antibody. Correct. Will all people ultimately produce an antibody if they've been if, if they've been exposed? Immune system, 
if your immune system is good, just like any vaccination, almost everybody should produce it. Then the I question think. is, the question is, the amount of antibody that you have, is that sufficient to block or, or to identify the antigen or the virus coming in? That, that in turn depends on how much antigen or virus are you going to be breathing in. So it is a balancing act. Mm-hmm. So I can hear that. Uh, the, the important thing is to block the virus or the uh, virus from producing inside your own body. So the earlier you have the antibody, the better. The higher the antibody concentration, the better your resistance or your own production, if it can ramp up. This is why people who have SARS or previous coronavirus infections, they seem to be okay for a year, year and a half because they have the memory cells in their lymph nodes that can reactivate the antibody production in a shorter period of time, maybe in a week, as against three weeks if you are immunized right now. That's just why flu vaccines, they tell you, take it three weeks early. Mm-hmm. Well, so so a lot to process through all of this and knowing how to live our lives and and stay healthy at the same time. And, you know, you're seeing people that are saying, okay, you can get tested. You can, there's these, there's these testings where if you feel that you have symptoms, you can go be tested. Some testings are with a swab up into the nose and up to the sinus area. Some testing is the roof of the mouth and two sides of the mouth. But if you are not feeling, let me use myself as an example and let me not not um, fade into the shins. If If you are feeling healthy, currently I am feeling healthy, they wouldn't even consider testing me right now because people that are feeling symptoms should truly have the testing. They are at a higher priority to have a test. Is that true? The only caveat, only caution I will be, I'll tell you is it depends on your line of work. If you are working in a uh, elderly environment, right. a nursing home, for example, or if you are working in an area where you are exposing yourself to other people, then those people that you are going to be with, they need to know that you are not infected. Right. So caregivers, nursing home workers, or anybody who is exposed to other people, they need to be tested if they have to have priority. If you are going to be isolating yourself anyway, then you are okay. Right. So really what you're talking about is you're talking about the category of what we've all come to call is are the essential workers. That could be the Correct. mailman, that could honestly that could be the plumber because all of a sudden your toilet is overflowing and you don't know what to do about that. That could be the physicians, that can be those folks that are really, you know, putting themselves out the the truck drivers, all of those people. For the rest of us that can really shelter in place, which is another word we're hearing a lot of, but can still get outside and take that walk, can can learn the technology today, which I think is so vital because when we talk about mental health, you know, I fall in that category of the older adult without, thank you, underlying immune issues uh, or symptoms. Um, Zoom and some of these other technologies that are allowing us to connect with our families you know, or just being able, you know, I, I feel I don't have grandchildren, but for those, but for my friends that are maybe widowed like me or, or they're, um, they're single women or men, their grandchildren are such a vital part in their lives and they're missing seeing them so much that if you, if you could, you know, they're in the car, you're standing at the, on your porch and they're on the street parked in the car and it's like hi grandma hi hi 
Susie, you know, that there's nothing wrong with doing that because I think that when you talked about those symptoms earlier in the show and you talk about anxiety, for a lot of people the anxiety has to do with the lack of control of what once was because what once was isn't so much what what, what we are today. And so getting through this and and frankly I I'm trying to monitor my news intake as well. I find what's confusing for me personally is that the information isn't consistent. What you hear on from one group of people might not be the same as others. Now we're seeing hearing protests. Now, you know, obviously besides being physically healthy, our economy is suffering. There's so many moving parts. But if we're not alive to support the economy, what's the point? We've got to stay healthy. That's just my way of looking at this. And as a scientist, do you really think that there will be an antibiotic uh, or some kind of, you know, just like what we had for the flu? Do you, do you, and maybe that's not the right word, maybe I'm using the word antibiotic and maybe what I really, that isn't the word I mean. But do you see something that scientists will be working on these things right now? Will we ever get outside if we're not going to have a vaccine? Well, That's a lot of questions. Just like, you know, just like any other viral infections, why do they die off after a few weeks or a few months? Because if the virus does not have a living cell, access to a living cell in another person, they cannot survive. So once 50% of the people in, in a community are producing antibodies, then that virus will die off. It cannot survive in the environment. It cannot survive in the dirt. So it will die off. So that is what, what is called the herd immunity. There are Thank you. People. Thank yeah. you, Dr. Dr. John, because frankly, that is exactly, that's the beautiful segue. So go on and, t- and talk a little bit about, because we are hearing about herd immunity. Um, so continue with that description of the virus and being able to live. Yes. Now, th- there are two parts to it. One is you were bringing up people who cannot go outside, who are getting anxious. That, what do you do with them? How do you cope? with something which is totally new. We are not used to doing that, but suddenly we are forced to do that. What I'm suggesting for people is, especially those who are considered more vulnerable, elderly, Mm -hmm. or whatever age you want to put yourself, Mm -hmm. every morning when you wake up, you have to have a plan, an itinerary. What am I going to do for the rest of the day? And you have to categorize it. How are you going to how am I going to support my emotional health? For that, the best thing is yes. In the past, you would have talked to, visited your friends, visited your children, or gone shopping. Now you cannot do that. Yet you can use the same amount of time. Set aside one or two hours every day. I am going to call my friends, my relatives, my neighbors. It doesn't matter who it is. You are mm-hmm. going to be talking to somebody, keep your brain involved and, and, and active and talk because you don't, you don't want to have free time to concentrate on something which is not pleasant. So that mm-hmm. is one thing. Second, you need a physical activity. Every day, at least one hour, you have to active. It doesn't have to be one hour consecutive. Every, every 20 minutes, you move around, walk around, do something. And this is the time you can also use to watch some of the old movies or there are so many programs from your local library, your senior living center. You can watch a zoo program where you can watch the animals or a cultural program, an opera or whatever. Spend an hour or two, whatever. It doesn't have to be consecutive. Do that. And then you need to talk about the nutrition. Take this time to learn how to cook or also this is the time you can learn a new language or a new way, a new game. It doesn't matter. If you have another person in the house, pick another game, a new game that you have not played before. Every day you have to have an activity plan. And 
that is how you can get over this uh, uh, by yourself. That is, that is so important, truly. That, that is exceptionally good advice. And for people, you know, you and I are, are seniors, but for people that have kids at home and they don't, you know, you want to monitor how much news they're watching. You don't want kids watching the news and going, wait a minute, those old people are dying. Well, what's going to happen to grandma? I don't want grandma to die. How come I can't see grandma? You know, we we as um, parents of children, we need to be very responsible. If we're suffering with some levels of anxiousness, imagine how our children are doing this. So you can go out in the back yard and you can play catch or you can do jumping jacks or you can do a puzzle and you can start to do things together in some ways forcing us inside can be a mental decision and that's honestly that's how marsh is dealing with it i'm dealing with it much like what you said i am picking up the phone and i am speaking with people that i don't ordinarily speak with on the phone and I'm just surprising them with a phone call, or they are surprising me with a phone call. And how lovely is it to reconnect with somebody that I used to work with at the YMCA, and I've been retired for 15 years. And now I'm in, I don't even want to tell you how long that phone call is, because people will say, well, that's because you were born to talk. But let me just say, it was ours, and because we hadn't been in touch for a while. And it was so comforting to be able to just, Sit and have a conversation with somebody. We can all do that. Now, some might say, are you kidding? That is absolutely the last thing in the world I'm going to do. But maybe, you know, the doc said something about learning a language. There's all these books you can do. How, how much Sudoku are you playing? Maybe you really are creative and you've always wanted to paint. Why not paint? My brother is doing a beautiful mural. He's, he's a former art teacher. He is doing a whole thing about dogs. People are finding very creative ways. I, I've said this week after week, Dr. John, which is social distancing is not the same as social media distancing. And however you define that, some people like me are all over social media. Other people, not so much. It's not up to me to determine for you how you want to do that. But I know for myself that the more I reach out with the full intent of saying, how are you, and that's not so you can say, how are you, Marcia, but with the full intent of how are you, how are you doing, if you live close enough by, is there something I can do? We're, we're all able to do things, even if it just means being part of a phone bank. That's what my YMCA is doing, Dr. John. We're calling the senior citizens from my YMCA just to check in. Do you need anything? How's it going? That can, that can change a person's whole attitude for the day, and I would imagine that, that um, does bolster your immune system along with that healthy diet you spoke about earlier. Am I, do I have that right? Yes, yes. In, in two words, physical distancing is not the same as social emotional distancing. Right. You can it's be physically apart, but you don't have to be emotionally or socially apart because of all the gadgets that we have you just talked mm-hmm. about. Right. It's very true. And, you know, we, can, we have some choices. Um, right now, I mean, I know that I have friends back in the Boston area that had snow this week. I have a friend in Montana that's had snow this week. I mean, I haven't had any. We don't have snow where I live. So right now it is so beautiful outside. And, you know, people that have allergies, I could really see, like, this is the allergy season time. It's like, oh, shoot, I just sneezed like four times. But this is, feels exactly like my allergies. I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting a temperature. I know some of the symptoms that you and I have talked about before, even off the air in a bit today, is the sense of smell. You mentioned the five senses. If you suddenly are having trouble tasting things, if you're having trouble smelling things, do you recommend, and I, I already know the answer to this too, but I, I'm going to ask it so you can reiterate it, 
What's your opinion about drinking hot fluids during the day? Well, uh, again, my example is when you get an infection, your body produces fever. And the importance of that is the virus or the bacteria multiplies better at body temperature. So the body is trying to slow down the multiplication so that your own immune system can take care of it. So if you drink something warm, it doesn't matter the the quantity is the material is the material as long as it is warm frequently you are elevating the temperature in your nose and sinuses to slow down the multiplication it is not to kill the germ but to slow down so that your immune system can take care of may i say one word about the allergy Please. people yes the the allergens that are released are heavier because of dew early in the morning. And once the sun comes out and dries up the the, uh, dew, the allergens will float in the air more. So if you want to go outside, if you're suffering from seasonal allergy, go out as early as you can in the morning. Okay, as early as you can in the morning. Very good advice. the, the, The pollens are still in the ground. They have not dried up enough to float around. So the less pollen in the air that you'll be breathing in. Good advice. I, you know, I I think some, you know, there's so much to understand. We And we all bring our own level of understanding to something as complex as this, truly. Even yourself, an, an, an expert in this field of allergies and immunity, you're constantly upgrading what you're learning about all of this because we're still learning. If you had to guess, and I think this is such an unfair question to ask you, do you visualize that we're really going to be living pretty much the way we're living right now till the end of the year? Yeah, in, in a, in a, in, I'm thinking about in one, uh, again, it, depending on where you live, in an open area, if you are not exposed to it, as I said, once we have the 50% herd immunity, the life will be gradually going back. I'm expecting another two months, we should be back. So before Thanksgiving, we should be, we will all have a very nice Thanksgiving, and we can thank and we can feel good about li- having lived through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned Thanksgiving. So here's how my mind is working. I'm thinking, okay, fine. So in January, when we knew we were in the 2020, and we're thinking, oh, we've got a vision for the new year. We're 2020. Look at how our vision is. We're seeing things clearly. Okay, well, that didn't work so well. Then I'm thinking to myself, all right, what happens for the 4th of July? It's our Independence Day. I'm so hoping that what will happen is that we will feel independent enough to be able to walk outside. Last Independence Day, honestly, here in Los Angeles, we had a pretty major earthquake. I mean, you know, Mother Earth is messing with us at times. But, you know, when you say Thanksgiving and what you're saying to me, Marsha, I'm not trying to depress you or to, you know, bring you down here at the end of this wonderful conversation. But in reality, I don't see you hugging your neighbors until the end of the year. I don't see you going to see your baseball games or going to see your basketball games. Not not now. And a lot of people well, are being... Yeah, let, me, let me connect. It can happen, but not the way... You asked me the question, will it be the way that we were before? But yeah. it, all those things are going to happen, but we may still be cautious and then yes. space, spacing and all that. Right. I, I, can see, I can see that. So, you know, I can see where you go to a baseball game and you're not sitting side by side by side. Or you're going to be watching your favorite television show, Jeopardy, you know, where they're not six feet apart. Alex Trebek is, you know, a stage four, you know, colon cancer pancreatic cancer that you're just so grateful that he's still alive you know i we don't know what's going to happen to some of the things that we've become so accustomed to but i think that the important thing that you that you would want us to take from all of this information is don't lose hope don't feel that there's no hope because we have free will 
our free will will allow our minds to go where they need to go. I will make sure that uh, you are hyperlinked um, on my blog. People need to get in touch with their own doctors. People need to do their own research. And granted, it always it's not always the same. It's conflicting. But I think as much as I'm a control freak, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I want control. But there are some things that we just have to give up that we can't have control over except for how we react. And that's why I love doing these shows every single week because everybody brings their own passions to life. And this is a time to do that. And, yes, this this show was vitally important, and your information was extremely well delivered. And I want to thank you for being so generous, not only on the air with me as you have, but honestly to speak with me off the air, which you have been just as as generous with your time. So I want to thank you, Dr. John, for 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 helping us understand this. And we will get through this. I mean, that is the option, and that is the goal. And, uh, and, and that is going to happen. I thank you, Marsha, for having me. It, it's my pleasure. So everyone out there, do your own due diligence. Do what you can to to sustain your immune system by your diet, by your physical activity. Don't say, well, I, I, I can't go outside and run. Fine. Then, then do what you can in your own home. Make a game. Go outside with some chalk and play some hopscotch. Figure out whatever it is you can do that brings you some joy. And frankly, for those of us that have been living in our homes forever, that would be me, Maybe it's time to get rid of some of those things that don't serve you well anymore. Maybe it's really time to declutter and get out in the garden because it's beautiful out there right now. So from my home in Los Angeles to your home with you and your wife in Portland, I wish you the very best as we move forward, and I thank you once again so much for joining me today, Dr. John. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now, everybody. I'll be back next week with another exciting show. Bye for now.